you missed uh, the imagery um, last week, um, we, we, we shared a, a, a quick story about um, myself and my younger years. Somebody said after the service, Sean, you were quite a, a young man. <laughs> but I, we, where we got lost up in the mountains, we got lost up in the mountains and uh, came to the conclusion that we need survival skills when you get lost and you don't, and you don't have a clue and we, we turn, take that turn, we need survival skills, which is wisdom and which is God give, has given us. So let's stand as we get started this morning and read our opening thoughts from scripture today. If you have your Bible, you're gonna, um, you can open it up to Proverbs 1 and we're gonna spend kind of our, our we're gonna keep our finger there for most of the message um, that we're gonna grab verses from all over Proverbs because that's the way Proverbs is. But our anchor content this morning is gonna be coming from the second half of Proverbs chapter one. So I'm gonna read right now from verses uh, 20 and 23. Um, let's read this together. Wisdom cries aloud in the street in the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you and I will make my words known to you. Father God, make your words known to us this morning. We want to hear from you your word and a rhema word and a fresh word that's directly just for us this morning. Speak to us individually, only the way only you can do it. Father, in Jesus name, we pray. Amen. Might as well include Holy Spirit in there as well. <laughs> so I just, I just really believe, guys, we've had so many people that have been praying uh, over this Disciple concert. I, I just want to say this as your pastor. This is not just a concert. We're really believing that there's actually going to be a shift that happens just as a result of us putting this, this focus and this time and this, this uh, money into this event. And we've really just heard from, from God, even um, just as we've been praying, that uh, this could be a, a really uh, spiritual uh, turning point for us. So please, 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 even... Even if, you know, hard rock isn't your thing, let's lift this thing up and let's, let's pour ourselves into praying for this event, all right? So maybe you've been blessed to have a sage in your life. I don't know, um, but I feel fortunate to have many along my way. We're talking about wisdom. This is our second week uh, in this series, but if you're just joining us for the first time, welcome along. It's, 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 gonna, be, uh, it's gonna be a wild ride. That's what we're talking about. Um, wisdom along the journey, and it, it can be a very wild ride, right? But one of the most, uh, one of the wisest and most respected men that I've ever met was a man by the name of John Collins. I got a picture for him up on the screen there. He was a, a mentor in ministry for me, uh, specifically for family and student ministries, uh, but I credit a lot of my overall ministry philosophy um, to him. He was, he was one of my professors at the Christ for Nations Institute in Dallas, Texas, um, where I received my biblical training. And um, he was kind of legendary around there and around the, the Dallas area. And so the third school of youth ministry and family ministry that I was a part of, I attended under his leadership. And it was infamous for its high academic level. I know that sounds doesn't sound right. You know, people think of youth ministry and they're not necessarily thinking, you know, deep academic studies. You know, they're thinking games and lock-ins, you know, and, and, you know, learning how to play a few chords on the acoustic guitar, but not in John Collins School of Youth Ministry. 
he, um, we received hands-on training as part of this school. We read close to 80 books in one school semester. And uh, many of them were not easy reads. They, you know, they were in one academic school year, that was kind of the workload. And so we developed and we wrote out our philosophies of ministry, we memorized scriptures, and um, we learned how to be, hopefully, good communicators. Part of his class, uh, when we say we memorize scripture, you would start on the very first day. Uh, most classes you would have three times a week, some of them would be two times a week. You would memorize one scripture for every class that you attended, and then you had to keep on, you'd memorize a new one every class, and then you'd have to keep all the other ones from the beginning of the year memorized, so you'd have a lot of scripture memorized. And a lot of times I would have two of his classes at once. And so, very, you know, he, <laughs> I had conversations with a group of, of law students that, who thought our load was heavier than theirs at one point. <laughs> and so let, let me tell you about his exams. Uh, mind you, again, I had usually had more than one of his classes at a time. For his exams, you would first take copious notes, detailed notes of his class lectures all throughout the semester. And his talks were so engaging, so it was, it, was, it was really a pleasure to do that. He was the kind of guy that could capture anybody's attention and one of the best communicators that I've ever come across. And one, once exam day came, he'd write three things on the whiteboard. He'd write, write out the course outline or, or you know, given from his lectures. He would give you the outline as he was giving the lectures. Write it from memory. Number two, fill in that outline. And number three, explain the content in your own words. So a whole semester of lectures, write that out on your paper, <laughs> you know, <laughs> write that out. In my small handwriting, it, 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 it was usually around 10 to 15 pages of content. Uh, and so this was a guy that at one time, he took over a youth ministry uh, for a large church in the Dallas area that had just lost the youth pastor to a terminal illness. And they asked him to kind of come in and be the interim guy. He was just there for a three-month interim period. And while he was there, the size of the youth ministry tripled. And so he, he, he carried an anointing on his life and in his ministry that was just incredible. Rumors had it. I don't know if this is true or not, that he had written messages for every verse of the Bible. I don't even know how you do that. Um, but I wouldn't put it past him. Uh, he was a sage in my life. He was, he was a, a master of his art, and he impacted my life very deeply. And so some of you have heard the story before, but bear with me. It was, it was so pivotal for, for Deanna and I. Uh, Deanna and I were hosting our very first Vallapalooza event at uh, Living Waters Fellowship Church uh, over in uh, Pierce, South Dakota. And uh, we, had just, we, had, we were the youth pastors there, and we had been there for just a little over a year after graduating from Bible college. Um, this is the same church where I first met um, our founding pastors, Brett and Tana, he was the worship pastor there at the time. Um, it was a weekend event, um, including uh, a banquet, like some of you guys are familiar with here that attend, uh, have attended Vallapalooza in the past. Um, and it was always a good event. We'd, we'd raise a, a thousand, couple thousand dollars uh, every time. But this, this time, it also included John as our guest speaker and, and, and weekend services. It was, so it was kind of a, a different feel to it, kind of like a mini youth conference. But towards the end of the event... On the last night, um, it was kind of like the last night of camp. Holy Spirit <laughs> just kind of broke loose and showed up and, and just was real in a lot of students' lives that night. And so it was, uh, kids were in tears all over the place and they were crying out to God and they were surrendering their lives. And I was looking around at this thinking, this is it. This is what I've been praying for. This is, you know, 
we've been here a year. This is exactly what we've been praying for and what we've been hoping for. And that was when John came up next to me and he put his arms on my shoulders and he whispered, get your resume ready. And when he said that, I, I, I think I internally kind of laughed out loud. I don't think I <laughs> laughed out loud because that would have been rude. But internally I was laughing. Why would I do that when this is what we've been praying for? This is it. Take a look around. That's what I was looking at. But I trusted John because he had invested so much in me and he was a prophetic voice in my life. And so, and in fact, he gave a prophetic word even that evening to us that proved in the long run to be very, very accurate. And, and I won't share that now because it's irrelevant, but it was leading to where God has taken us over these last two decades. And so long story short, I updated my resume and within the week, within the week, very, very unexpectedly, we found out that the church that we were serving at was terminating our positions. The pastor was going onto the mission field and a new pastor was coming in and they were, he was bringing in his own staff. And so it turns out at that very same time, Brett and Tanner were over here. They had planted Destiny Foursquare Church and they were looking for youth pastors here at Destiny. And so they had already gone through this pile of, uh, Brent said it was like a, a stack of applications and they were down to the last two couples and they were conducting interviews that weekend. Um, and so we called, I called Brent and asked him if we could submit our resumes. We swooped in and we got the job. And so the, the rest is history, as they say. So, yeah. It's a pretty cool story. I wish I had more time to, to even share more. But in the moment, when John came up to me and he put his arm around me and he said, get your resume ready. In that moment, when he said that, his words seemed to me like foolishness. But as I thought and I prayed about it, I thought, maybe I should do this. Here's a prophetic voice in my life. He's a sage in my field. He hears God's voice and I'm trying to do that better myself. And so maybe this is God. And so I updated my resume and it was a bit scary, but I was so glad that we took that leap of faith because it landed me here and it's given me some of the best moments of my life. And we actually had a, a couple other job offers at the time, even offering more money at larger churches, but we knew that God was shaping our destiny to come here. And so we started here as the youth pastors back in April of 2001. It was a whirlwind and the, the whole thing <laughs> felt a bit shocking the way that it happened. And then it struck me. Why am I so surprised? Right? Why am I so surprised? John, John Collins is, is, is this, this master in his field. It's kind of like, in my mind anyways, I know you guys don't know John, but in my mind, it's kind of like taking advice from a nail, CV, nail seal officer when you're about ready to go through one of those courses. If, you know, I, that's overstating it. But, you know, that's the kind of, that's the kind of, that's John's legacy. And, and maybe listening to John's advice and words of wisdom, it didn't make us geniuses, but it did point us towards success. And it did help us to hear God's voice. And so I realized the key to success was the humility to get over myself. <laughs> and that humility op opened me up to counsel, and that counsel made me wise in that moment. And that wisdom led me to the best community here at Destiny. And so... Um, why am I saying all that? It's a big opener. Because that's what we're talking about in this series. We're talking about wisdom. And we talked last week about the fact that wisdom has different synonyms in this book. Um, Proverbs used the words like knowledge, insight, and prudence. Knowledge is I understand. We talked about last week, I understand what this is about. The word insight is I understand the distinctions of how it works. And prudence is I know how to work well within it. 
So that's John Collins' prophetic word to us. He could see past that moment where I couldn't. I was saying, look at this. You see what's happening in this room? And he was looking past that. He was hearing God's voice. He knew what God had in the works and even had advice on how to negotiate it. And so he had this skill and this experience where he, he had this relationship with God where he, he knew this whole, how this whole ministry thing works. And he wasn't scared to put his hand on my shoulder and say, get your resume ready. <laughs> and so he knew the subtle distinctions of God's voice and he knew how to operate within the ministry framework to help us be successful in what could have been a really hard situation. And so this whole idea in the book of Proverbs, it works. There are some general ideas that this, this, this universe has some fixed laws. It has physical laws. Somebody help me out, right? If you eat junk food, you will gain weight, right? If you plant a seed at the right time, under the right conditions, you'll reap a harvest. There are fixed laws about the universe. If you leap off a cliff, you're gonna fall, right? But there's not just physical laws, there's social ones too. So if you're always mean, you won't have many friends. If you lie habitually, people won't trust you. And so there's these laws physically and socially. Why? Because underneath them all um, is a law giver. And so spiritually, there's laws to the way the world runs. Why? Because there's a law giver. And so there's a God who made it all. And so last week we looked at that. That's that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's the starting point for all of this. It's looking at the person who knows the course better than us. It's sitting with the God who designed it all and saying, I don't have sufficient knowledge of this course. I don't know the distinct laws of how it all works. And I certainly don't know how to work well within it, but I can listen to the one who made it all. I can listen to the one who made it all and I can take the steps that will lead me to soar. And so do you see it? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now it's interesting. There's a tension in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter one, where we spent most of our time last week, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But in Proverbs four, which we started reading this morning, if you've been reading with us uh, in our scripture journey, which you have, if you haven't, you can quickly and easily join us by visiting the link that's up on the page. It's also in your notes this morning. You'll see the link there. Um, we'll send you some Proverbs every day and you can get all the wiser for it, all right? We're taking a deep dive into wisdom these next few weeks. I'd recommend it. But Proverbs chapter four, where we are, where we just read this morning, if you're reading along with us, says to seek wisdom. And then it says, wisdom is gonna lead you to the fear of the Lord. And so it's an interesting tension here. Which comes first? Fear of the Lord that leads me to wisdom or wisdom leads me to the fear of the Lord? Which is it? And the answer is, Yes, <laughs> you could say it this way. You could say it this way. Let's say you wake up and it's another day where you're like, I just feel lethargic. I, I feel like my energy level is, is garbage. I don't like the way that I look in the mirror. And then the truth hits you, I'm out of shape. I'm out of shape. So what do you start doing at that moment? For some of you, you start a conversation. You find that friend that's in shape and you go, hey, what are you eating? Where, where do you go to lunch, your salads? What do you get on that salad? Do you do the cheese? You know, and you start doing some research and you find a fit person, you say something like, you know, hey, do you work out somewhere in town? Because, you know, I think I'm, I'm, I need to start looking for a gym. And you start gathering the data, right? And maybe after a while you find that person who's that physical specimen and you go, what are you doing? And you go talk to them 
And they go, well, I've got this trainer, and he's amazing. He put me in the best shape of my life. I can do an Ironman and then finish that one and then go do another one. <laughs> and so it's absolutely unbelievable. And you go, wow, okay. And so you go, maybe, maybe you can even go and watch the trainer work out other people. You're kind of checking it out. So now at that moment, are you in shape? No. Are you on the path to getting in shape? Kinda, yep, it, it got you this far, but you're not really on the path yet. The only way to really step onto the road of getting in shape is what? Submit to the leadership, to the one who knows how to get you there, <laughs> right? It's kind of like that song we're singing. I need to move, I need to move my bottom, <laughs> right? And so it's that courage to be humble that will lead you to the fitness that you want. It's the same idea here. As you start to seek wisdom, Hey, maybe I don't know how the world works best. And honestly, maybe the way I treat people works maybe about a third of the time. And I'm realizing now that I've hurt a, cert a certain level in my career. And maybe I really don't know how to manage money that well. And well, maybe I'm not as great as dating as I thought. Maybe I just don't know. And so that leads you to the start of seeking wisdom. So it's, it's going to lead you to the maker of the world. But what's going to really make you wise, giving you success, is on your blanks, uh, on the back of your bulletins, if you're taking notes, is submitting to him. Submitting to him. We talked about humility last week. That's kind of where, where we ended up. Humility is the path to wisdom. Do you see that? That's, that's what people understand in recovery ministries. Right, Pastor Lau, where's he at? They, they usually start with, I, I admit my life is unmanageable. I can't manage it. But I believe there's a higher power who can lead me to sanity, right? That's where it starts. It's humility that leads to wisdom. So that was basically last week. We defined wisdom. We saw the attractiveness of it. And then we talked about how to embrace it. Now, what I want to do with the remaining time that we have today is to talk about this. What if you don't? What if you're like, okay, I could submit to the Lord, listen to his word, get some discipline and humility as I follow him, but that sounds like a hassle. I'm just going to do me. <laughs> and, you know, how is that going to work? And where is that going to lead? Where is that going to go? That's where we're going today. That's where we're, uh, we're in, in the book of Proverbs as we're reading through. So as we do that, you're really going to get in the book of Proverbs two paths. The paths are the path of wisdom or the rejection of wisdom. There's not really a third path. Either I'm going to listen to how the Lord says to go, or I'm going to run my way. That's kind of how it works. So we're going to see these two roads. There's two promissory roads. There's recruits that follow on these roads. And then we're going to look at the end results. And so we'll see first in verses chapter 1 and uh, verse 15, um, I want you to give Bev lots of grace today because we're going to hit a lot of verses and a lot of scriptures. Say, Bev, I give you grace. Everybody, <laughs> Bev, I give you grace. <laughs> we're going to go through a lot of stuff really fast today. So verse, uh, verse 15, chapter 1, where it says, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. Do you hear the metaphor? They, they use the words ways, paths, roads a lot in Proverbs. That metaphor, metaphor shows up about a hundred times in the book of Proverbs. And it's a great image and it's a great metaphor that communicates that there's a course to life. I make choices and those choices lead to consequences. I make choices and those choices lead to consequences. That's, that's the world we live in. There's a, there's a course 
I make choices and those lead to consequences. A path is a great way to talk about it. Little steps end up writing your story. Can I get an amen? amen. Little choices, little decisions lead a direction that shape your destiny. They do. That's life. And so a, a path is a good metaphor to present two worldviews, two philosophies, right? Mentally, I load thoughts. They shape beliefs. Beliefs shape actions and actions shape a life. That's the way it works. And what Proverbs is going to say is there's basically two paths that you can go down. And the, both of them have promoters. Both roads have recruiters. And so as you're standing at the crossroads, there's people on either road and they're saying, come on over here, come this way. Both sides have them. And in the book of Proverbs, you see that on the wise path, it's, it's interesting, on the wise path, it's parents and lady wisdom. So wisdom personified as a woman. Uh, I, I, okay, no comment. <laughs> and then on the foolish path, you got the gang, you got the peer group, you got the boys, you know, those guys, and you got Lady Folly, or sometimes she's presented as a seductress. So you've got these two options, and each path promises rewards. I mean, you see in the text, the path of wisdom, he says in verse 8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. So a garland was a symbol of victory that you would wear like a, a crown for kings. And a pendant, Egyptian judges wore those and they were a symbol of life and exemplary service. So what he's saying is, if you walk and listen to my wisdom, son, if you do that and follow my teaching, if you listen to what I'm saying about how this world works and you work well within it, you will have a skill for life. And at the end it says, you will be honored. You will be honored in the community. People will honor you. Proverbs 3 says, long life is in wisdom's right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. So humility, discipline, submission to the Lord, and genuine care for people will lead you to an honored and successful life. So, but then if you notice in the text, the text doesn't always stay super upbeat if you've been reading along with us. Like not all y'all getting fired up when you're reading some of those Proverbs. Because of a lot of it, a lot of it is about the other path. The path of the fool, which is basically, hey, let's go kill somebody and take their money. And so I know some of you are here say, Sean, that's not my greatest temptation today. <laughs> right? You know, I'm dealing with some stuff, but that's not really it. I mean, should I kill some people and take their money? Uh, you know, maybe some of you are, but not all of us are. But here's the deal. You can read that and you can go, okay, this is a little dramatic, uh, I'm doing a pretty good job avoiding that one. But if you read further in the book of Proverbs, you see the way that they use this imagery. Now, Proverbs chapter 30 talks about devouring the poor. And it doesn't mean, you know, you're grabbing a dude and you're chomping on his leg. What, what does it mean? It means that you are making economic decisions. You're making social decisions. You're approaching the city and you're using the city in a way that exploits the people who have less advantage than you. That's what it means. And rather than being, you know, hyperbole and dramatic, dramatic there, what it's doing is it's shortening the, the story. It's shortening the cycle. It says your decisions are reaching these outcomes. It's just far enough away that we don't, you know, have to look at it in reality. But here's 
what's the reality of what's going to happen. And so we see that. And that's what he's doing in the text when he's like, hey, let's wait in the ambush and let's kill people. That's what we see in the text. And what you basically see there is the path of folly, is let's pursue pleasure without a thought of the price of it. Let's pursue it without a thought of the price. And so that's the call of the recruiter for this path. Let's go for mine. Let's go and live life without a thought of the consequences. And there's a promise of excitement. And there's a, a, an, adrenaline rush, uh, an adrenaline rush that's there. You know, let's, let's lie in wait. Let's uh, ambush this dude. Right? And so there's this intoxication of power that will swallow them alive. It says, we'll eat them whole in Proverbs 30. We're like Sheol, which is the grave. It's another word for the grave. There's, there's a promise of big gains. It says, we'll find precious goods. We'll fill our houses and, you know, plunder. And this, this promise of acceptance, it says, come with us. Throw in your lot with us. You know, we'll have one purse. And you'll have some, you know, people that you belong to. You'll have fun. You'll get power. You'll get fame. And you'll get acceptance if you come with us. That's kind of what the recruiters for that side are saying. Pursue your pleasure. You do you. You do what's good for you and don't think about the price. Make your choices without considering the consequences. And that's what verse 16 is about. For their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. Why did they do that? Because they don't fear a God that's going to judge them and they don't fear the people that can hurt them. So in the middle of that, they're like, there's no God that's going to judge us and there's no people that can stop us. So I'm going to go for mine. That's the thought process there. And it really doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. I'm just going to do what's good for me. You hear that language kind of a lot, don't you? I'm going to do what's good for me. I'm going to do what feels good for me. That's the message of foolishness. And so a quote from Ben Walke says it this way. Powerful people see the world as a place to be conquered. Vain artists as a stage from which to win applause. And the covetous as a place of transferring wealth from one bank account to their own. Sinners love wealth and use people. Saints love people and use their wealth to help others. And so that's basically the path of foolishness. It's saying, I'm going to use people for money, for sex, for power and acceptance. And the path of wisdom says, I'm going to use money, acceptance, and ability to serve people. And so at the end of the day, it's a lot about love. And at the end of the day, that can be you lying in wait to ambush somebody, or it can be you ambushing somebody online, or it can be you ambushing somebody in their peer group, picking on, you know, your little brother, right? <laughs> Why are you doing that? Because when I step on them, when I step on them, I elevate me. Do you see that? If I disadvantage you for the benefit of me, and I don't have to worry about it, that might that might get back to haunt you, according to Proverbs, that you, know, you hurt your feelings, discourage you, cost you friendship. But that's too much for me to think about. So I'm gonna think about right now. So if I make fun of you, I win now and I look great. <laughs> right? That's the idea. Now there's recruits on these roads. Wisdom's got a path, he's got a path. And they're actively seeking recruits. And the recruits are in verse 22. And it says, this is from the scripture that we read uh, together this morning. It says, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? So you see three people groups there. There are three people on the path of folly. You get the simple, you got the fool, 
and you've got the scoffer. The simple, the word, if you want to get geeky about it in Hebrews, it means the word open. So it can mean gullible or easily led. So there's a verb form of the word. It means to fool or seduce. So it's actually the verb used in verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And so the book starts with talking about the person who's standing at the crossroads. And they're easily tricked. And that person that's being spoken to at the beginning of this, someone is someone that's gullible. Proverbs 14 verse 15 says, The simple believes everything, but the prudent or the wise give thought to his steps. They don't, they don't think, the simple don't think things through. The simple, Proverbs 22 says, the wise or the prudent see danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. It's because they don't weigh their decisions, right? Basically, it's, it's used as a synonym in the book for youth or a young person that doesn't think about consequences. And so in this book, it means somebody that's just starting out in life they're, they're the younger kind of marriage age, and they're entering um, their first career. They're maybe between the ages of 18 to 35, right in that zone. And synonymous with youth at the very front end of life. It's, it's the kind of person, and some of you know people like this, that you go, man, they could go a lot of different ways <laughs> when you're starting to look at them. You know, it's that friend that you have in high school that you're like, when I look at them in five years, they could either really be involved in their church or they're going to be in a gang, you know, leading a gang. <laughs> I don't really know which way it's going to go. It kind of depends on who finds them first, you know? And so if we were to take a quiz this morning, and if I were to ask the question, is it wise for a young woman to get blackout drunk in a room full of strangers that she doesn't know? If I were to ask that question, I would imagine that most of us would say, no, not wise. But how many of you know, or have seen, or have heard that story, right? You, you get invited to a party and you show up and there, there's a girl walking in the door and she walks over and she falls on the coffee table. She can barely stand up and she's splayed out and her friends are trying to help her and, and you know, get her world together. And we'd all agree, I think, that you know, that's bad, that's a bad start. Walking in the door like that and you go, how? Did that happen? You know, I don't think someone presented her with the option at the beginning of the evening, you know, well, let's see, we, we have a dinner reservation and we can go and we can have a nice dinner at 7.30 or you can go to a house, a strange house, and you can drink a bunch of liquid somebody hands to you until you fall out, blackout, drunk, and puke on yourself. You know, does that sound like an option like you'd have to present, right? And so, you know, she's like, oh, yes, I'll take the second one. Thank you very much. I don't think that's what happened. What happened and what happens in a lot of our lives was a little bit of peer pressure, a little bit of, you know, my friends are doing it, uh, a little bit of I want to be liked, I want to be accepted, I want you to like me, and a poor choice is made. I caught, a, I caught a video a, a couple uh, years ago with Mr. T. Anybody, anybody still remember who Mr. T is? Um, describing the roots of his catchphrase, I pity the fool, if any of you remember him. But um, Conan, uh, on late night, was asking him on his, on his show, where did I pity the fool come from? So watch this clip real quick. You coined one of the most famous uh, catchphrases in history. I pity the fool. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is I read an article with you once where you said that when you pity the fool, 
you consider that an, an act of kindness to oh, people. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, didn't... I always took it as I pity the fool means I want to kill the guy. No, 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 no. When you pity somebody, you're showing them mercy. Because I didn't start this pity stuff. It was in the Bible. You know, you find pity so many times in the Bible and fool so many times. So I put them together. <laughs> pity the fool. Because a, a lot of guys in the Bible was asking for pity. Yeah. You know, and then a lot of them were saying I did a foolish act. Right. So I put it together. I didn't realize you did all this research oh, yeah. before you came up with I pity oh, yeah. the fool. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. So he got it from Proverbs, and Mr. T made a living off of that. So are the simple without hope? No, you're trainable. If you're simple, this, this book's written to you. Proverbs 1 verse 4 says to give prudence or give wisdom to the simple. So this whole book is about trying to help the simple person. The simple person is gullible but trainable. They can learn. That's why wisdom cried out in Proverbs 9, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To whom who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine. Wisdom calls to the simple, come this way. Come this way. But later in verses 16 and 17, the woman folly on the other side calls out to whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret, stolen and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So the gullible person is right on the front end of their career, right on the front end of their relationships. And the way you pursue a lot of these things can be swayed by the crowd. There's a fragility to you. And if you're not careful, the default setting, it says in scripture, is folly. Proverbs 14 says the simple inherit folly. And you don't work for an inheritance. You don't strive for an inheritance. It just shows up, right? And so here's the thing, you can't stay at the crossroads. Life moves on, everybody moves in life, and if you stay empty-headed, you become wrong-headed. <laughs> and so that's what wisdom says, the simple inherits folly. It's coming for you, it says. And there's a culpability to that because it's a heart issue. That's what wisdom says. How long, simple, will you love being simple? How long, simple one? Will you love being simple? See, the thing about being simple is it's not about mental capacity. It's about the heart's humility. Being simple is not about a lack of mental capacity. It's about a lack of the heart's humility. Am I willing to pursue gaining wisdom? Be careful. We have got to watch our affections because there is something attractive. Folly says, you know, stolen water is kind of sweet right? Stolen bread, eaten in secret, it's kind of fun. Gossip is kind of cool. Feels like you got something over on somebody, right? You figured something out that they didn't, and, and you being elevated while they are still down feels kind of good. There's something nice about this, and the seductress calls to the fool, and he's just like, this sounds like a great idea. If he, if he was taking a quiz about adultery, in a sterile environment, you'd probably say, if, 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 if this was just a, a guy you know, taking a quiz about adultery in a sterile environment, he'd probably say, this is not a great idea, right? But if you turn the lights down just right, and you put on some Marvin Gaye, I don't know, whatever music you put on, and suddenly, what happens? The simple inherent folly, your affections are bent, unless 
you make a different move, okay? And so again, the simple, it's not, a, it's not about mental capacity, it's about the heart's humility. What seat am I gonna learn at? What voice am I gonna listen to? And so you stand at the crossroads impressionable. And so the next type of person is called the fool. I pity the fool. And you'll see, the reason that I'm telling you this is because if you read through Proverbs with us, and I, and I hope you do, you'll see the fool pop up everywhere. And the fool, I love this, the, the wooden translation for fool that we see a lot of times in Proverbs is the word thick. The word thick. And it was used to describe legs, but then eventually came to be mine. So in other words, you're thick-headed is what it's saying. But again, it isn't about the brain. It's about the heart's humility. And so the fool is the person who's more hardened to being taught. You know, this person doesn't even think about the consequences. Okay, I'll drink that, you know. And so this person's a bit more culpable and a bit more stubborn. The fool lacks discernment, is what it says. It's interesting, Proverbs 15, chapter, uh, chapter 15, verse 14 says, The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. So they just believe anything, any resource, anything you send their way, they'll believe it. In Proverbs 18, it says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing their opinion. So how do you spot a fool? We talked about this briefly last week. It's the person that when you try to educate them on something, they say, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. That's the call of the fool, the know-it-all. The, the, the fool is the person that uh, just wants to tell you something, even if it's, a, if it's a subject that they know nothing about. So maybe you're an expert on the subject and nobody's told them that yet. And they're like, oh, well, you know, what I heard is blah, 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 blah. And they start educating you and you're like, dude, you're spouting off whatever you're spouting off. It's whack. <laughs> it does not have any truth to it. The fool is the person who lacks restraint. It says in scripture, a fool gives full vent to his spirit. Why? Because there's a lack of humility to them right? I love Proverbs 18.6. It says, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. <laughs> Proverbs, you're meant to think about it for a while. His mouth invites a beating. <laughs> you know, that's awesome. You walk into a fight and the fool is somebody who just keeps on talking. <laughs> and you're like, this isn't going to be good for you. <laughs> it's not going to end well. If you know somebody that's always in the fight, always in the drama, you ever have a friend like that? And, and it's like, uh, where, where, wherever they're at, they're like, everybody in my office is so dumb. Everybody. And you know, you, you, if, if the common denominator in every relationship that you're in is that they're all dumb, what is the common denominator? <laughs> is, it, is it you? I don't know. I'm just asking a question, right? But again, the fool in Proverbs is not mentally deficient. They're morally deficient. The fool loves folly. It's not a lack of mental capacity. It's a lack of heart and humility. And so it's about attitude, right? It's not about the mind's information, but it's about the heart's bent or the, the inclination. And so one of the best examples I can think of is Forrest Gump. If you look at his life and, you, you, you know, you're not sure, you know, he gets a little lucky, right? I mean, oh, he just happens to be great at ping pong, right? But what's the whole thrust of the movie? Forrest Gump, if you've seen it, the person with diminished mental capacity but strong moral conviction, right? He just keeps on finding a way to win. And so as you see him navigate all these very real crises, he always, he always tends to float to the top. 
and there's a serenity around him and others are lifted by his presence, even though in the first presentation they might make fun of him, um, you know, for being slow, but it doesn't matter how slow his mind is. It's about the courage of his convictions. And so it's his humility that leads to success. Meanwhile, if you're following the story, the people around him who are presumably wise, they do what? As they run into calamity, they start to make decisions that are self-destructive. They are uh, relationally, sexually, um, financially, through addictions. And they look up, and they're so smart, and they're so wise, but they rage at the storm, right? The proverb says, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. The book of Proverbs is what it says. And so what happens to them? What happens is the big question in front of all of us today. Will you be humble to gain wisdom? It's, it's, a, it's a moral issue. They lack humility. And what's dangerous about it, our text will say, it says, the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. So it's, it's, it's this. It's I know the decisions that I'm making are not great. And some of us are there today. You know, I've just accepted that I'm going to handle money a certain way. And so I'm just not going to think about it. I'm not going to think about it. I know there's probably a smarter way to handle some of these relationships that are in turmoil right now in my family, but I don't want to hassle with it. And, you know, I know there's probably a healthier way to talk about the opposite sex and the whole dating thing, but that's not what my friends are doing, so I'm just going to let it be. And you just continue to spurn wisdom, to push it off. And it's that complacency of fools that undoes them. It's a dangerous path that ultimately leads to the mocker, the third person. Proverbs 21 says the scoffer, the mocker is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. It's like they're so arrogant it has to say it twice. <laughs> it's someone who hates rebuke. This is the person who laughs at the idea of consequences. You don't tell me, I tell you. This is Ebenezer Scrooge. You know, this is I mock you, I'm gonna do it my way, right? And it's interesting though, if you look at popular films, um, they love to show this path. They love to tell this story. The person who starts out in, in life and you're rooting for them and, and they start to make bad decisions and they just weigh in these little decisions that start shaping a destiny. And you can see them begin to become the thing that they hate. And what's even weirder is like uh, the movie that have become such cultural pieces in, a, in our culture. Godfather came out or even Scarface kind of tell the same story that they wanted to show people. This is not a healthy way to live, right? You, the, the whole gang life. And, and, and at the end, if you, if you know the story, you've, or you've heard that what this, when the scene closes in the Godfather movie, what happens? He's alone. He lost his wife. He lost his children. He lost his family. Lost everything. He's isolated. It's meant to be a tragedy. In Scarface, the movie ends in blood with all of his friends dead and gone. And yet it's fascinating that in society, we tend to elevate and celebrate those. That's kind of weird, isn't it? That Denzel Washington, or Denzel, yeah, Denzel Washington, when he made a movie about being a gangster, he requested, he said to the, to the producer, show the wreckage of people on drugs in the street. If you're going to show me riding around in a Bentley, show the person who's ODing in front of their kids. He said, I do not want to glamorize the path of folly. It's little decisions that elevate me at the cost of society that end up ugly. And it's always ugly in the end of the day to be a mocker and a scoffer. A scoffer sets the city aflame, it says in scripture. Now there are many 
are there many of, of us in the room here this morning? I don't know, but there's a path in front of us. And the path, paths go different directions. This path, their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. It's a morally evil path, but it's not just evil. The Proverbs will go on to say it's, it's actually kind of, it's, it's kind of dumb. It's interesting. In the book of Proverbs, it says, for, uh, for in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood, for they set an ambush for their own lives. So what's, what's that saying there? It's saying if you try to set a trap for a bird and, you, and you, you don't set a real obvious net right in front of it because the bird's going to see it, and they say, I'm not going to do that. And so the fool, though, it says in the last part of that scripture is so arrogant that in their heart, they're like, nothing is going to catch me. Nothing is going to stop me. I can do whatever I want. And you go, man, that's, that's the essence of foolishness. They're going to they're going to set their own trap. They're going to fall into it. So it's fascinating. Chris Rock, who is a much allotted as a comedian in his latest act, he talks about that. He's like, I got so proud. I was unfaithful to my wife and I thought it doesn't matter. I'm Chris Rock. Those rules don't apply to me. But now his marriage is over. She's left him. And he's standing there on the stage begging people, don't be like me. Don't do what I did. Don't go down this road. And yet as many people say that, still many of us will walk down the road of bad decisions and how we do relationships. The essence of foolishness, if I can just put it in a nutshell, is this, trying to divorce decisions from consequences. That's the essence of foolishness. I'm going to divorce my decisions from the, from the inevitable consequences. They won't ever get me. That's what a fool does, right? If I, I, I can get away with this. I won't get caught. No one's going to judge me for this. That's the idea. There was a court case a few years ago. I was watching it, and um, it was some young high school-age kids that had... Uh, sexually assaulted a girl at a party and they had videotaped it and they sent it out to other friends and they laughed about it at school and so after that horrible experience and the social rejection and all of the difficulty that came with it she the victim took her life and as the guilty verdict was rendered one of the young men instantly became like a child again you could see him just all of a sudden suddenly you know kind of ball up and he starts crying like a baby and they put a mic in front of him and he says I didn't mean for this to happen and you know what's crazy it was easy to believe him but just because I believe you didn't mean for this to happen that doesn't make you innocent he was guilty in fact what those words made him according to the book of Proverbs was a fool because he made those decisions but he just kept on saying to himself no it certainly won't lead to what is inevitable so I believe that you didn't want that to happen to her but you did everything to lead to that place and your decisions are completely consistent with that outcome we get to control input we don't get to control outcome. That's the humility that the Bible's putting in front of us. We don't make the rules. We can't control inputs in the world. And we, we, we don't control, we can control inputs. We don't control outputs. 
or outcomes. Someone else does. And if you try to say, well, I'm going to put this into the world and bad won't come of it, you can't reap or sow the wind and then pray for a crop failure. If you sow the wind, Scripture says you're going to reap the whirlwind. That's coming for you, right? And I've talked to young people about it so many times as a youth pastor. And now I talk to adults and we'll talk about the way that they're making, you know, relational decisions. I really want to be pure sexually before I get married. I really want a healthy marriage. I really want to be there for my kids. I really want to be a success financially. I really want to serve people. I really want to help. And you look at the decisions that you're making and none of those decisions are leading there. Not a single one of them is consistent with that lifestyle. And you're like somebody who's putting all the ingredients together, putting butter and flour and baking soda in the pan and putting it in the oven and saying, oh man, I didn't mean to make a cake. What do you mean? You actually followed the instructions exactly. What do you expect, right? And so the essence of foolishness is trying to divorce decisions from consequences. The wise person says, I don't want that, so I shouldn't do this. I don't want to uh, go there, so, you know, I, I won't go there. And so they will eat the fruit of their way, and they'll have the, the fill of their own vices, but I don't want the simplicity and the complacency of fools to destroy me. So what do we do? Well, what's interesting about this text is that wisdom kind of goes dark on us, and we're wrapping this up here. You notice that in the text, though? Wisdom, wisdom's like, you don't listen to me, you don't hear from me, you didn't repent, so I left you. That's the second half of Proverbs 1. And, and you're like, wow, that's cold-blooded wisdom. Yikes, I was hoping for some encouragement here. <laughs> right? But here's the good thing. And some people are disturbed by this in the book of wisdom. So I just want to pull this out. Um, that it name calls. Wisdom actually calls us names in the book of Proverbs. Because, you know, we don't like name calling in our society. You know, but as you read through the book, Proverbs is like, you know, hey, do you act like this all the time? Because if you do, you're a fool, <laughs> is what it's saying. And, you know, our response is, how dare you? When we hear that, like we, don't, we, don't, we don't like those labels because they feel so final. And it's like wisdom is slapping a label on me. And, you know, you're simple, you're a fool, you're a mockery. And it's, it feels like, like a death sentence to some of us, like you're labeling me. The thing about the book of Proverbs, though, is that it just wants to give you real data in the moment. It can be hard. It could be a hard deal. It's like that friend who's out in the sports field when you start losing your breath and you ask to take a break and it says, is it because of your obesity? <laughs> is that why you need to take a break? You know, it's like working out in the gym and doing some aerobics and you can't go on anymore and your friend says, you can't do this because of your weakness. You know, it's like that person. It's like wisdom is the friend that comes up to you and says, you know, you put on a couple. You've put on a couple, and it's time, it's time to, to, to make a, a difference in this. So wisdom gives you the stark reality, but it doesn't give much grace. It's cold, hard facts. So let's stand as we prepare to close. Here's the cool thing. If you look at the Bible, there's off-ramps on every road, and every path that's taken, every single one, there's an off-ramp. So when Jesus is sitting with a group of people, I love this about Jesus. He's saying that he's sitting where, there with a room full of sinners, and what does it mean? What does that mean? It means that Jesus wasn't afraid to show up in that crowd, first of all. He loved that crowd. He's kicking it with that crowd. And there's one time that he's hanging out with them, which is a normal thing for Jesus, to hang out with them. And to hang out with these people whose lives were in a mess. And some religious people showed up. And they were judging him for that. And he was like, let me tell you a story. And so he starts sharing the story. One part says, the offerings of a scoffer are an abomination to the Lord. So there's scoffers in the church. This isn't about religious or non-religious. It's about your heart is what Jesus starts getting to. And Jesus is in this place 
And he's looking at these people who are arrogant and proud in the way that they're doing religion. He's looking at the people who've made a mess of their lives. And he's like, let me tell you all of what God's like. And really he's talking extra loud so the proud guys in the back can hear it. And he says, let me tell you the heart of God that you're preaching because I don't know if you're getting it. And he tells the story of his son. He told, he, he, he told his father, I know, you're, I know I'm getting an inheritance you know, when the time comes, when I, when I die, but I'm done with you, give me the money now and I'm out. And so very dis, disrespectful. He blows his, out his family unit, takes all that money and he starts, uh, he, he doesn't start up a business. What does he do? He squanders the money, according to scripture. He squandered it on riotous living. He went to the city and he went crazy and he's like, I'm going to die young. And he just goes after it. And he just went for it. whatever he wanted to do, right? And when that happened, what happened is the money runs out. And when the money runs out, sometimes the friends run low. And that's where he's at. And he says, I'm in a foreign land and I'm working with pigs and the pigs are eating better than me. And he's in that moment where wisdom says to you, you will eat the fruit of your labor and you will reap the, the whirlwind. And that's kind of where he's at. He's feeling that. He says, I have reaped it. I am the mocker of Proverbs 2. That's where he's at in his life. So what does God do with that guy? What does he do with us? What does he do with you? If you walked all the way down that path, you know what Jesus says? Jesus said, this guy came to his senses. He says, there's food at my dad's house. Maybe he'll just let me work there. It's worth a shot. So he shows up. He starts walking to his dad's house. Like somebody here, you walk through the doors this morning. And you go, well, maybe I'll just give it a shot. I heard there's a church behind the old Kmart building. And maybe they're not super judgy. And so what I love about this story is that he starts walking towards his dad's house. And his dad, it says, it's my favorite part of the whole test. He says, while he was still a long way off. Because some of you, that's you today. While you're still a long way off, what does God think about you? What he does, the father does, is he hitches up his robe. He ties his Nike sandals. And he starts running. He sprints to this boy. And I mean, he gets there and his son's trying to read his I'm sorry speech. You know, father, I didn't deserve to be one of you. And then boom, he gets hit. Because his father's sprinting to him, and he rats him up in his arms, and he hugs him. He's like, get a robe. We're dressing my son up. Get some sandals. We're going to start the party. Boots and cats and boots and cats. And, and he's like, dad, I don't deserve to be. And his dad interrupts. We're throwing a party. We're throwing a party. And he wouldn't even let him finish his repentance speech. This is my son who is dead, and now he is alive. And that's God. The minute that you admit your need you're barreling down the path of wisdom and you're doing it following the son of God, Jesus Christ, who if he had a chance to tell you a story would tell you that while you're a long way off, the father's running for you. That's why you're in here. You're not here by accident. You're here because God's calling you. You're here because the son of God came for you. You're here because you have a good father who sent his son for you. All of us like sheep, have gone astray, right? Each of us to his old way. In the Old Testament, they broke every rule, every law, everything, and they went into exile. Slaves of foreign leadership, and while they were guilty, God repeated the words of wisdom while they were guilty. And he said, through the prophet, I'm coming for you anyways. I'm going to pour out my spirit on you, and I will give you a new heart and move you to obey my decrees. What you need is not to turn over a new leaf. You need a new heart. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, let's, yeah, yeah, let's do this. I'm going to pray. You repeat after me. <laughs> There's the one person that did it. Father God, I need you. I don't know the way to go. 
I don't know the next steps to take. But I know if I throw up empty hands that you will come running. And I know that while I'm still a long ways off, if I come to my senses, you come chasing me. And I know that Jesus Christ didn't come to give me a list of rules, came to give me a new heart. And so come grab me, lead me, and teach me, and walk me down the path of life. God, thank you for your words of wisdom this morning. We want to walk in them. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, we, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. So with nobody looking around with every head bowed and every eye closed, um, just raise your hand up high in the air. Um, there is it's not a mistake that you're here this morning. I just want to pray with you. Is there anybody here this morning? Father God, let's, let's pray this together one more time. Father God, I give you my life. It's yours. Surrendered. Thank you for the cross. It's all yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate this morning. Hey, God is doing a good thing, a new thing. This is a move.